said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My thought in doing this series in the month of February where we celebrate Valentine's Day and you hear a lot about the heart is this, where is your heart? Where is your treasure? Stewardship is a word we don't relate to very well because we don't really understand the mindset of a lord and servant or steward. We're the master of our own fate the master of our own soul. We don't really serve a master, so we think. And so the whole idea of stewardship is a little difficult for us to bridge that gap. But to me, stewardship is lordship. It's recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is God the Father. He owns everything. And I am entrusted for this period of time with the resources that he's given me. Job said, naked I came and naked I'm leaving. Basically, Job is saying, I didn't bring anything in. I'm taking nothing out. Everything I have, God gave me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so last week, we talked about giving away our lives and our resources and the principles of stewardship and how, how we could, you know, we can be stewards from a legalistic standpoint where I say, you know, the Bible says it and you got to do it. We got to do it we got to tithe 10%. we got to live these lives. But let me just say again, the Bible does say it, and it is true, but legalism is no way to live your life. That is not the reason you do what you do. You can live it from a moralistic standpoint where you say, well, the Bible says sow and reap, and so I want to reap. As a matter of fact, I want to reap big. So I'm going to start sowing big. And we take it and twist this whole passage, and we can live moralistic lives where we're just living according to a principle. And again, I would say to you, it's good and it's true, but it's not a way to live your life. Instead, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live out of relationship. Christianity in its basic nature is relational. We say it over and over again because it's true. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. When I steward understand my role and responsibility, who God is and what he's done in my life and do things out of relationship, it changes everything. Now I'm living a thankful, worshipful life rather than a I have to legalistic life or uh, I want to get more, I want to live according to these principles life. I'm living the joyful Christian existence of living out of relationship with God. It's why Paul can declare in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. I think it's a critical passage in saying, look, it's it's about relationship. When you understand what God gave you, see, we as stewards, we're to reflect our master. Maybe think of it like this in a better way. The Bible also says we're Christ's ambassadors. You know, we understand the ambassador system a little better. We're representing our country when an ambassador, he's speaking on behalf of the United States. Well, we speak speak on behalf of God, which is a heavy responsibility. But the only way we can do it is if we're in a relationship with him, living thankful, worshipful lives. Today, I want to encourage you that 
giving away your life is not just about your money. Whenever we start talking about stewardship, we start talking about money. People think money all the time. But stewardship is really about every aspect of your life. Every part of your life makes you a steward. And so today, I I, want to talk about your words. Your words, giving away your words. The Bible has a lot to say about words. This, this might shake you up a little bit, but think about this. The Bible has more to say about gossip than it does about drinking, smoking, gambling, moving, going, and dancing combined. And yet, we seem to kind of gloss over this gossip thing, how we handle our words. It's a, it's a critical factor. God has a lot to say about how we steward our words. In the book of James... James says this, if anyone can control his tongue, he proves he has perfect control over himself. Now, how many of you would say you have perfect control over yourself? And please don't raise your hand. Make us all feel bad. You know, the truth is, probably no one here. Why? Because we have a problem controlling our tongue. We have a problem with our words. The New Century Version, it says this, if people never said anything wrong, they would be perfect. We as Americans, we love to talk. I mean, do you remember the days, how many of you are old enough to remember the days when you only, you only had like three channels and you actually had to get up and change it? And then like at 11 or 12 at night, it, it went off the air? There's a Star Spangled Banner, and then this emblem came up, and that's all you got till the next morning. Some of you children, you're appalled at this idea. What? what? Now we have 24-hour news talks. I was walking, watching this one this past week, and I'm like, they are dying for something to talk about. I mean, the, the, the levels we have to go down to have something just to fill the airtime on 24-hour news and talk shows is crazy to me. If you're an average American, which let's say we are, just for the heck of it, um, if you're an average American, you have 30 conversations a day. You will spend one-fifth of your life talking. (laughs) Some of y'all are above average, I know. In one year, you will speak enough words to fill 53 1,000-page books. The longest sermon ever preached was Clinton Lacey, and I don't know who this dude is, but he preached a sermon that lasted 48 hours and 18 minutes. Let's go for it. Let's see if we can get our names in there. The average man speaks 20,000 words a day. This is the killer. The average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. So after a man's done, his wife's got 10,000 more to go. It explains a lot, doesn't it? Comedian Phyllis Diller was once asked, uh, her husband was asked, do you ever resent having your wife having the last word? And he said, actually, I'm delighted when she finally gets to it. (laughs) Words. They make a difference. So today, I want to answer two questions uh, about stewarding our words, 
And the first question is this, why, why should I steward my words? Why, why does this matter? So looking at the book of James, let me just give you some pointers. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, by the way, I, I think I told you this, but one of the things I was trying to fast from uh, during the 21 days we were fasting was griping and complaining. And uh, I, I want you to know, I, I think I made up for it. Uh, since the 21 days. It is so hard to steward our words. I mean, it is so easy to see the fault in things, and it is so easy to express it. Here's some reasons why we should steward our words, and these are from uh, James chapter 3. The first one is this. My words direct where I go. My words direct where I go. James 3.3 says this, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. I've I've seen pictures of middle school girls riding horses. You know, a girl weighing less than 100 pounds can control a 2,000-pound horse because of the bit in its mouth. And James is saying that your words turn the direction of your life. They determine where you're going. He goes on in verse 4 and says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. I mean, you know the illustration, just a big ship, a little rudder, or you know, take the Queen Mary. It's like three acres of ship. And in the steering house, is just a, it steers with a little rudder in the back that, got, that can turn the whole ship. Your words have that kind of influence on your life and mine. They determine the course of my life. They determine the course of my marriage. They determine the course of my children's lives. Our words matter. I'm, as a parent, I'm often amazed at the influence of my words. You and I, we really have no idea how powerful our words are. How do you know if you're headed in the right direction with your words? Ah, I would say, do this. Just do an inventory. What do you talk about the most? What do you speak about the most? Do you talk about money the most? Do you talk about sports the most? Do you talk about your problems the most? See, whatever you're focusing on and is coming out of your lips, that's the direction your life is headed. Your words direct the course of your life. Proverbs 13.3 says, My self-control means controlling the tongue. Self-control means controlling the tongue. Okay, so you all feeling great about yourself so far? I am. (laughs) I'm preaching to me. So just hang on and let me talk to myself for a little while longer. My words can destroy what I have. Not only do they direct where I go, it can actually destroy what I have. James 3, 5, and 6. I'm just going right on through James here. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, 
and is itself set on fire by hell. You know, you remember in Smokey uh, the Bear, only you can prevent forest fires kind of ad that used to be way back when? Only you can prevent the words that come out of your mouth. You know, when my kids were little, one of our favorite stories, and I've told it before, is, you know, one of my sons was so mad. I mean, I just thought uh, an ex- he was exploding in the house. And so I said to Adam, uh, he's not here. He's in Colorado somewhere, having, you know, living life. So I said to Adam, hey, what is the problem? And he said, well, I'll tell you the problem. Jared's the problem. You know, that's the way we are with our words. We blame everybody else, but only you can control your tongue. No one else. No one made you say anything. You chose to say it, and it can actually destroy what you have. So what is the antidote of this? Well, Proverbs says, keep your mouth closed, and you'll stay out of trouble. Oh, that's pretty good. You know, you were thinking I was going to say something even more profound maybe, but just shut up every once in a while. It'll do you good. Proverbs 18.20 says, you will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. Proverbs 10.19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Words can destroy what you have. And words can also destroy you. I mean, how many, I mean, some of you sitting here today, you can remember back to elementary school, middle school, something somebody said to you that has hurt you for the rest of your life. And yet they're just, we say, they're just words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Hooey. That is not true. Words are powerful. They can destroy another person, and they can destroy you. Third is this. My words display who I really am. You know, people say things like, I'm sorry I said that. That wasn't really me. Oh, no, no. That really was you. And that's what's so tragic about it, because it just comes out. Do you remember the, um, the story, uh, the true story, of course, but the account, is a better word, of when Jesus was on trial and Peter was sitting by the fire and people said, hey, haven't we seen you with, this, with Jesus? And he said, no, 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 not me. And he's, somebody else says, yeah, I think I saw you with him. And he said, no, you never saw me. Third person said, and he gets mad, starts cursing at them. One of them says to him, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Now he's talking about his accent as a Galilean, but our words betray us in the sense of they show who we really are. It reveals my inner character. Remember when you used to go to the doctor and he'd say, okay, stick out your tongue? I'm like, what the heck? I mean, what is my tongue going to tell you about me? 
Well, James says your tongue can tell you everything about you. The words that you speak. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers. This should not be. Now, by the way, some of you, you read this and you think, you know, I I got victory over that whole cussing thing. I I took care of that a long time ago. Eh, I slip every once in a while, but it's not a big deal. He's not talking about that kind of cursing. He's talking about speaking curses over people. Curses like, you'll never change. You're just like your mother. You're just like Uncle Dan. You know, you, you're, just, you're just a loser. I mean, those kind of curses, those are, those are killers. And yet, we don't think we're cursing when we say things like that. But it displays what's in our heart. James 3.12 says, My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Well, the obvious answer here is no. Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, your words are, are, are displaying the condition of your heart. And some of us are deceived about the nature of our heart. But if we're going to have a heart of giving away our words, then we need to make sure our heart problem is taken care of. Matthew says this. This is Jesus speaking. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment. Man, this is hard. For every careless word they have spoken. If there's not another verse in the Bible that would make you start watching your words, this one will. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to give an account? Man, I'm leaning heavy into that grace message right now, right? My mouth betrays what's really going on in my heart. Whatever's going on inside is what's going to come out. So I would say start guarding your heart. Really start doing some heart work to change how things come out. Okay, here's the second big question. How do I steward my words? Now that I've given you the good news that it really really matters... Hopefully you've caught on to that uh, from what James has said. I want to flip over to Ephesians 4.29 and look at a couple of principles that Paul gives us in a passage uh, in Ephesians where he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So here are the points on Uh, How do I steward my words? The first one is, allow your words to build up and not tear down. Build up and not tear down. God commands that our speech be helpful for building others up. It should be encouraging. God wants my life and my speech to point people to him. So, we in charismatic circles, we believe God still speaks, right? 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 Okay, thanks. Just to make sure we're in the same church. 
Um, we believe God still speaks. So what do you do if God speaks to you and gives you a word for someone else? See, even corrective words can help build up. Speaking the truth in love, but we really need to seek God about how we deliver words so that they can build the other person up. I, I believe in this principle that we need to speak words that you can say, and you can, by the way, it's not just words, it's tone of voice and body language and how you communicate things. You know, I can say to Ricardo, hey, dude, I love you. Or I can say, dude, I love you. I, I mean, it's just tone of voice matters, how we deliver things. Are we building each other up? Jonah got a word from God, which he didn't want to deliver. So he went on the run, got swallowed up by the whale, got spit out. You know, I, I've always wondered, how did Jonah deliver that word? You know, once he finally got there after he was a broken man and he said to the Ninevites, hey, repent or God's going to get you. I, I don't know how he delivered it, but whatever, he delivered the word of the Lord and the people changed. And he was ticked off because he didn't want him to change. He wanted God to destroy him. That's how, what a great guy Jonah was. It was a corrective word, though, but it allowed room for repentance. So I'm not sure how he delivered it, but we need to say, how can my words build others up? A.B. Simpson, who is a preacher from the last century, said, I would rather play with forked lightning or take in my hand live wires with their fiery current than to speak a reckless word against any servant of Christ or idly repeat the slanderous darts which thousands of Christians are hurling at each other to the hurt of their own souls and bodies. We don't necessarily take our words seriously, but we, we need to build each other up. You know, I'm trying to take a position in my life where I don't speak badly of any other church ever. You know, if, there's, if there is a heretical word coming out of a church, I, I, I want to figure out a way to speak a corrective word without it being tearing down because we're all part of the body of Christ. You know, uh, the whole idea, the whole idea of trash talking in sports, you know, where you, you, you just see these guys mouthing off to each other all the time and tearing each other down and insulting one another. Somehow that seems to slipped into the church. We're more spiritual about it, but we're spiritual trash talkers when it comes to each other. And why the heck is that? When we should be saying, oh, man, I'm celebrating what happens at Church of the Highlands. I am celebrating what God is doing in our city. I'm celebrating what God does at Canvas Church and Shades Mountain Baptist. Why? Because we're part of the body of Christ. I am not in competition with any of those places. At some point, I got to really believe that it's Jesus who builds his church, right? And if so, then I say, God, thank you for what you're building here. Just make me faithful, a faithful steward with what you've given to our care. Whether it's a hundred or a hundred million, I don't, whatever, God, you're the one doing it. Just make, may I be faithful. Allow our words to build up. Are your words building up your family? Is it building up your marriage? Is it building up your children? Is it building up your workplace environment? Are your words building up? 
Allow your words to build up. Just start focusing on building up. I, I, I try to say this uh, in premarital counseling. Uh, I'm about to uh, meet with Jonathan tomorrow, Jonathan and Molly tomorrow morning, and they're going to hear this, this lesson again. Bless and curse not. Bless and curse not. What, what am I saying? Speak blessings in your home. Be, speak blessings. Build up. Don't curse. Don't tear down. Don't get angry and let see your heart change and then let your words come out that build up. Second is this. Apply your words to meet needs. Apply your words to meet needs. Keeping in that Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's a good place to start, by the way. Like Proverbs said, stop. That's why I like Proverbs. They just stop it. Stop talking. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. According to their needs. Here's, here's an interesting question. When you speak, are you thinking about the other person and meeting their needs? Or are you thinking about meeting your needs? You know, the truth is this. Here am I. Here's the universe rotating around the center point of the wonderfulness that is me. Right? And so when I talk a lot of times, I'm, I'm really building myself up. Or I'm talking about something that brings attention to me. May it benefit or meet needs. The benefit is the next one. But I, I want my words to meet the person's need. What does that mean? Means I got to know what their need is. I've got to be in that relationship with them, so that I can hopefully see their needs met. And that leads me to the third one, which is aim your words to benefit others. To benefit is something that is advantageous or good. Something that is advantageous or good. So is. Here's the tough part. We, we try to position ourselves where we are given the advantage. Is that not true? In many situations and circumstances, we, we, try to benef- we try to put ourselves by everything that we do in a position that we are given the benefit. We even try the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the moment, the benefit. Look, our words should benefit others. I, I, this morning, as many of you know, I, I did the Mercedes half and marathon before I came. That's why I'm starving. Um, and it's just getting worse as we're going along. So I'm shutting this thing down soon so I can get some food. So good news, you came on the morning where I got to get something to eat. Anyway, um, I, was remi- I was just thinking this morning while I was running, and I, I was going to preach this sermon about my friend Rob Hackney, who, who is, Rob is awesome. I, I I know many of you know Rob and uh, been a part of, he and Jenny have been a part of our church for a long time. And years ago, Rob and Jenny and the Rosses and I think the Tippets went with us uh, to Chicago to run a marathon. Since I was running, I was thinking about it. And so we ran in Chicago. And uh, when we finished, there was this one person who I didn't mention today, but we, who was much slower than the rest of us. And we'd all driven to downtown Chicago together, so we're standing around just shooting the breeze. You know, we had like an hour to wait on this person. 
So you're maybe longer, wasn't it, Rob? It was a long time we were waiting on this person to finish. Um, anyway, we're waiting, and we, we, we've been talking for 45 minutes to an hour. And we're just talking along, just telling stories. And Rob goes, oh, yeah, I, I saw a guy die today. And I'm like, you know, I was thinking in running terms. Oh, you know, somebody just died, you know, we all die out there running. I mean, I was dying out there running today. That's why I was late to church. And I was, I was like, yeah, you saw a guy die? He goes, yeah, he just fell right on the pavement. Started giving him CPR, and then the medics came, but he was dead. And I'm like, we've been standing here for an hour. I mean, Rob, you buried the lead, dude. That's, I would have led with that. You're not going to believe what has just happened out there. Why? Because, why, why do I tell you this story? Because it just reminded me, Rob's, Rob was listening to others and letting them tell their story and being benefited and building each other up, and he didn't want to bring attention to himself because that's the kind of guy Rob is. And those of you who know Rob, you know that's true. We need to aim our words to benefit others. And the final point is this, and I, I mean it, this is the final point, hard to believe, but yes, appropriate your words to what? Glorify God. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. All day long. You know, there's many psalm passages that talk about God's praises filling our mouth. My lips declare the glory of God. How, how, how much? All the time. You may say, well, I can't go around saying praise God for everything. No, but you know what? The words, the way you use them can bring glory to his name. Even if you may not be saying, hey, praise Jesus, praise God, thanks be to God, all the time, you can still in your actions and your words, point people to Jesus. Point people to God, and in doing so, you glorify him. In Acts 4.20, when Peter and John are called out on double secret probation and told, don't speak about Jesus no more, they said, well, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. Why? Because it had become part of they realize we're going to glorify God in everything that we do. So as we close this morning, here's what I want to do. I'll ask you three questions. First is this. What direction are your words leading you? I mean, I'm not going to, this is not a quiz where I'm going to call you out. But be gut level honest with yourself. What, what direction are your words leading you? Is it leading you down, is it le are, are they leading you down the path of conflict and bitterness? Ask yourself, what do you talk about the most? Ask a friend who's around you a lot. Hey, what do, I, what do you think I talk about the most? And then buck up. Because they'll probably tell you if you're asking for the truth. In other words, what direction are you, 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 you headed? Second question is this. 
what or who are you destroying with careless words? Some of us probably should go straight home and talk to our spouse or our children and say, forgive me for the damage that my words have done in our home. And third, it says, well, what do your words really reveal about you? And here, this is the ultimate question, I think, because your words are revealing your heart. And if all of this stuff is coming out, then the issue is in here. Now, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray that your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think one of the pictures that Paul has given is that you're made up of a spirit, and when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in you. You're made up of a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then this carton, your body. We try to, we try to control our bodies kind of from the outside in, and God is saying, look, it's an, it's an interior problem. It's a spirit problem. It's a, it's a problem in your heart somewhere. And the only way you can deal with a heart problem is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the, here's the unique thing about what we believe about Christianity is that God changes us. God changes us from the inside out. The truth is that matters this. You really don't have the ability to change yourself. And you're like, wait a minute, you've been preaching to me this whole time about controlling my tongue. And here's the news, you can't do it. But when you give yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in your life, he can change you from the inside out. How are you going to get control of your words? By the power of the Spirit that indwells you. How are you going to become a a giver of life by the power of the Spirit that indwells you? How are you going to glorify God all the days of your life by the power of the Spirit that indwells you? Because we're such broken creatures that without His power, we don't stand a chance. So this morning, I'm going to pray for me and you to say, God, thank you for giving me a new heart. Because I believe that's what happens when Jesus indwells me. He's given me a new heart. Now, may I appropriate your heart, your mind, your will in my life. May it be fully released to change me from the inside out. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you want to just join me in prayer and say, yes, Lord, let it be so, then do that. Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you, and I pray that today, oh Lord, our hearts would be changed. We come before you today, and we, we acknowledge that we've given our hearts to you, Jesus. Most of us here. If we haven't, then let's start there. The Spirit of God, draw us to the name of Jesus. May our hearts and our lives be changed in your presence. We need new hearts. But Lord, for those of us who have received new hearts by the power of the Spirit, 
Jesus has come in and dwelled and dwelt us, Lord, just release your spirit within us, a release of the power of the spirit to change our lives. Fill us up afresh and anew, O Lord. God, would you take the stubborn, hurting, angry bitterness, the fear, the guilt, the frustration in my heart, and would you redeem it for your purpose this morning? Would you replace it with your love and your peace and your patience and your goodness and your self-control so that they'll all be manifest in my life today? God, I, I want to say, personally, and I believe corporately, I need your help in this area. We need you, O oh Lord, to move. We give ourselves to you afresh right now, Lord, and anew. And we say thank you. Jesus name. Amen. Here's the good news. I, I know that there's a large part of this sermon that could allow you to leave feeling guilty. Like I am such a loser when it comes to words. Here's the deal with grace and God and the way he works in our lives. You're not a loser. You're more than a conqueror. And I want to say, I believe I and you, we have the power to give away our words in a way that will glorify God. I, I believe it. I, I believe we can be changed. That's the power of the gospel. The good news is that I can be changed. And so, Lord, I'm not going to look at the past. If, if I need to get forgiveness of somebody, then God, give me wisdom on how to do that. But I'm not going to look at my past and let it beat me up. I'm not going to let the enemy rob me of the joy of today and the hope for the future on how I can change. You know, I'm not going to be perfect with my words tomorrow, but Lord, let me be better than I am today. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. And then I can't wait for heaven when every word will bring nothing but glory to him. Amen. We're going to take up an offering. It's offering time, which is an opportunity, by the way, not to get to give out of guilt or obligation, but out of what God has given to you. And as a declaration, God, take this and use me. Here's my heart, Lord. Have your way with me. Do what you want. Here's my life. Here's my resources. Here's for the family you've given me, the job you've given me, everything. God, take it and use. This is an act of worship. It's not out of duty or obligation. So if you're new to fullness, there is a white card. In